I rewatched a uh, interview from NS, MSNBC uh, oh from a year or two ago. I don't remember exactly when it was, but uh, it was an interview of a pastor that had come on and, and a reporter that was interviewing him. And uh, the very first thing is he started. He just the guy sits down. It's like welcome to have you, and then he immediately launches into. It was right after the tsunami in Japan, and and he immediately jumped in and he said, with what's going on in the world and what's happening right now, he said, which is it? Is God either uh, he's all powerful and he doesn't care, or he is uh, he does care but he's not all powerful? And he and he points right at the guy. Which is it? Tell me right now. You know, he's in his face, kind of telling him. And uh, the pastor that was on there uh, got pretty flustered and he kind of stumbled around and he wasn't sure how to answer it. And then he ended up with, well, that there's a paradox at the heart of the divine. This was his answer. And the and the reporter was kind of like, OK, so which is it? And so he went back and he kept going back. And I watched the interview and thought, man, it was, it was a really kind of rough going there. It was very uncomfortable watching it. Come to find out later that the reporter's a believer and he knew that the pastor would sidestep the question and he wanted him to give the Christian answer and he didn't do it and the sad part is I don't know if he doesn't believe it or his view of God was just not big enough to have the answer or or what it was but it was sad watching it that that uh, the one that perceived to be antagonistic that was seemed to be against the Christian view was really trying to bring it out and try to get it and so oftentimes what happens though is that question will come up and and people will say that, well, if God cares, why doesn't he intervene here? So he must not be all powerful. Or they go to the other side and they say, well, he might be good, but he can't do anything anyway. And so often it ends up being used as an objection on, well, we just don't need to worship God. It doesn't really matter. He's not all, he's either not all good or he's not all powerful. Uh, and so people will say that. And a lot of times we kind of struggle with that and, and we think about it. But I think the Christian answer, there is an answer. And the Christian answer is that God is good. And that he is all powerful, but that he's also big enough that he can redeem all circumstances, no matter what they look like to us on the surface. See, what happens a lot of times is we say, well, no good could possibly come from this. And so when we say that, what we're saying is, I don't see a way that any good could possibly come from this. And so what we end up doing is we shake our fist at God. Where are you? What's going on? Why don't you intervene? Or are you not good? We even heard that tone in the psalm we read this morning. Where are you, God? What's going on? And we often have those questions. But what's behind our objection when we see that is is what we're saying is, I can't see a reason how this could work out for good, so there must not be one. And the answer becomes, in a lot of ways, is if we have a God big enough to shake our fist and demand answers, we have a God big enough to trust that he might be working in ways that we can't see. And so this morning, as we move into this period in the New Testament, really what we're going to do this morning, I said last week we were leaving the Old Testament, we're going into the New Testament this week. And a lot of ways what we're going to do and how we're going to spend our time today is really the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because a lot happens in that time. And a lot that happens in that time that I'm quite certain there were people standing there going, where are you, God? What's going on? You're going to intervene or, or why don't you stop this or why don't you change this? And so when, when, I, when we think about that time, uh, as I said last week, we're going to go to the New Testament. And we are uh, actually our big kind of heading over this morning in a lot of ways is going to be Galatians 4.4. 4. And in Galatians 4.4, 4, Paul says this, but when the fullness 
of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And then verse five says to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. But what I want to be over what we're talking about this morning, the big idea here is just for the first half of verse four. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And so what we see and what we're going to be looking at and thinking about this morning and what Paul's saying is that that God's timing is perfect. And when Jesus entered the world, it was the fullness of the time. It was perfect timing for God to come and his plan was being unfolded. And so this morning, as we think about that, that single verse, really that half a verse, I want us to go back and really look at it through the lens of Daniel chapter seven. So I told you last week we're going to the New Testament and we are to a degree because we're talking about Galatians 4, 4, and that's what, but we're going to do that by working our way through Daniel 7. And I think what you're going to see as we come to that, just, just so you understand where I'm going and you're not just thinking, well, why are we doing this and why are we going back? Daniel chapter 7 really in a lot of ways bridges the gap between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. What Daniel tells us there kind of helps show us what's going on in between the two testaments. And so we are moving towards the New Testament. We will be just right in the New Testament next week, but this is kind of setting the table in a lot of ways. And as we do that, I want us to see how, how God is moving and what we often deem as, is the silent years. That's what will often happen. If you ever do an overview of the Bible or you look at the big picture, we'll go, this is the Old Testament. The Old Testament ends right around with Malachi. He's the last prophet, which we looked at last week. He's writing about 425 B.C., before Christ, well, then there is no inspired word of God for those 400 years until the Gospels. And so uh, what happens, though, in that time, a lot happens. And although God didn't inspire Scripture, Revelation, during that time, God was still working and still lots of things were happening. And so that's really what I want us to consider this morning and that timing and what's going on. And so as we look at Daniel chapter 7 this morning, uh, I... Can you, somebody tell me what page that's on in our, I'll point you to 483, 483. 483. So in the, in the pew Bibles, 483, I forgot to write that down today, but if you want to follow along in the pew Bibles, page 483 is where we'll be in Daniel chapter seven. And we're going to look at verses one to 18 and we're going to uh, go at it this way because of what Daniel sees, this vision that God gives him really bridges the gap between the old and the new Testament. And I want us to think about that. This morning, and and you may say, uh, you may hear this and say, okay, fullness of time, Jesus comes, got that part. Now we're going to go back and we're going to talk about history between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's very tempting to go, great, great, 400 years of history, world history, wonderful. We're not going to dwell just on on world history, but I want to say this to you because as I read this this week and thought about it and looked at this and kept coming, this was so encouraging to me in my life right now with decisions and things that are going on just in the day-to-day. Because the picture that emerges is how big God is and the way he's moving through time and the way he's, uh, he's sovereign over all things. And so there's a lot of very practical applications right where we are. And so when you hear that, don't check out and go, oh, history and we're covering this time. There's some really good practical things that come from this for us right where we are today. So let's look at Daniel chapter 7 verses 1 to 18 and keeping in mind the whole time that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Galatians 4, 4. All right. So with that in mind, let's go to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to read 1 to 18. So it says, in the first year of Belshazzar. 
king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. And after this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth and it devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns. And I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little horn before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And thousand thousands served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. And I looked then because of the sound of great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. And I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. And he told me and made things known to me, the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are the four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Let's pray and then we're going to look at Daniel 7 together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it for us. We thank you for this uh, picture that you gave to Daniel and then you've preserved in your word. I pray that we would see clearly Uh, just this picture of who you are and the way you're moving and the way you're working and that uh, it would just lead us to love you more and to to trust you more each day, that it would be an encouragement to us even today, no matter what's going on in our lives. And so we just pray that uh, we would be faithful to this text. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and open our eyes to see clearly what you want us to see, that you would apply it to our hearts, that uh, we just confess we need you to do that because without you we're hopelessly lost. So we just ask that you would do that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at Daniel chapter 7, it's easy to say, well, what exactly is going on here? 
maybe a little bit cryptic, a little bit, okay, what's the deal with, with animals and coming out of the sea and all these visions and what's happening. And so I want us to walk through it like this and just to think through this morning. And remember, keeping Galatians 4, 4 over and above everything we're saying, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And so just keeping that in your mind, I want us to look at, uh, look at it like this. First question, how does this help us with the fullness of time? How does this help us with that verse in Galatians 4, 4? Second, what does this teach us about history? About the way God is moving Teach us about just the unfolding of all things of history. And then lastly, why is this wonderful and encouraging and comforting? All right, so let's look at it like that. First, how does this help explain the fullness of time that Paul's talking about in Galatians 4? And so what we have is Malachi, like I said, ending around 400 B.C., 425, somewhere in there. He stops writing, and then all these things happen, and then the the New Testament opens as you read the Gospels. 400 years later, and a lot has happened. The world is very different from when the Old Testament closes with the prophecies of Malachi and when it opens in the gospel, chronologically speaking anyway, uh, of Mark, when Mark begins writing. He wrote first of the gospels. But when we get to that time, it's very, very different, and a lot has gone on, and a lot happens. And we could say, well, we don't even really need the Bible to tell us what happens in that time. We can go to history and we can look at just what we know about history and what's going on the, at that time. And so when, we, when we're back with Daniel, and we're, we're going to look at that in just a second, we're back with Daniel. He's writing in 552 B.C. 552, you've got uh, Babylon is still ruling on the earth. They're the biggest kingdom in the world. And then from that point where Daniel's writing all the way up to the New Testament, you have all kinds of kingdoms come and go, rise and fall. You go from Babylon to the Medes and the Persians. And then Alexander the Great in Greece comes and conquers the world. And then eventually that leads to Rome coming and conquering the world. And so you have all this rise and fall that happens in this time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we need to think for just a second a little bit about the history anyway and what happens because it helps inform us on what the world was like when Jesus was walking and when he came and he stepped into time. And so in those times, as you as you follow back through history and you look at that, you know, the the uh, Babylonians, as they took Israel into captivity and they spread them out, and they did awful things and they destroyed the temple. That's still part of the Old Testament. We've looked at that and we've talked about that. But in that happening, uh, the Israelites were spread out and synagogues started to come out of that because they couldn't be at the temple anymore. So they were looking for places to come together. And you saw that spread out and that happened. And then the, the Persians uh, come and, and they do their thing and take over and they do all that. And then Alexander the Great comes and he conquers the whole world in less than 10 years. And it's important that we just know that as we come into the New Testament. Because as Alexander does that, he, uh, what he, calls, he Hellenizes the known world. That is, he brings Greek culture and language and he spreads it everywhere. He wants everybody, the Greeks are the best and he wants them to be... Like Greeks, and so what? What comes out of that is when the New Testament opens, everybody's speaking Greek. It's, it's become, in a lot of ways, the common language of the people. And not only that, the Old Testament then gets uh, translated into Greek. And not only is it translated into Greek, it starts to show up in the synagogues around, so people can read God's word in their own language, and they can go to the synagogue and they can hear it. And not only the Jews, but those other people that are there, the, the Gentiles, and those that are not. 
have grown up in the, in the Jewish heritage can know and understand. And so that all starts to happen. And then Rome conquers the world around 60 years before Christ would come. And as they do, they spread peace throughout the land. Right? Now they do it with a heavy hand. And they're, they're ruling over the people and they're holding it over them. But there's peace throughout because they're ruling. And not only that, they, they make roads. They, they put roads everywhere to where people can easily travel. And so all these things happen from the end of between the Old Testament to the New Testament. And all these things set up nicely just so in God's plan for the fullness of time, for the right time for Jesus to enter into the world. And there's really two ways we can think about that. The fullness of time and being God's timing spiritually and over all things and everything, but also very literally entering into time, that stepping into the story that this was the right time. And so you look at all these things and you see in the New Testament, a whole new world has opened up. Very, very different from when we're ending in the Old Testament and the Jews had just come back to the land, but Persia is still ruling and, and different things are going on. And now in the New Testament, it's completely different. And so we think about that just in terms of the fullness of time has come in a very literal sense. And so we get through with just saying that's kind of how it points us to Galatians 4.4. And you could say, well, that's that's great. That's a nice lesson on history. I didn't know some of those things or that's great. But you may also say, who cares? Right? Why does that even matter? Why do I really care that everybody's speaking Greek? Or why do I care? You know, some of those things that we look at. And I want us to think of it much deeper than just the language and just the roads and just the things that were going on. And in order to do that, I want us to walk through Daniel chapter 7 together. When we really think about the fullness of time and the way God is moving and what he's doing. And so let's look at Daniel chapter 7 together. And if you just look there right at the beginning in verse 1, it says, The first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And so we know from the, just the context, what it tells us, Belshazzar is king of Babylon, that Daniel is writing in 552 B.C., 550 years before Jesus would come. Babylon is still ruling all those things that I just ran through with you in five minutes. None of that has taken place. None of it has happened yet. And so as Daniel is laying there on his bed, he begins to have this vision. God gives him this picture of what is to come. And it says uh, he's laying on his bed and then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matters. And so here's Daniel alone in his room laying on his bed and God brings him this vision. And look at verse three is, or verse two is what it says. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And I want you just to think about that picture for a moment. The great sea, uh, if you saw um, the vision that Daniel's having is of, of the sea spread out before him, but the waves are starting to pick up and it's really being tossed around. And uh, it's, it says it's, he saw in his vision at night in the four winds and blowing up the sea and all these things. And in my mind, I got the picture of just watching the videos of the hurricanes, right? Just the last couple of weeks, we've seen lots and lots of footage of that. If you've watched the news and you see the great big waves and what that looks like and how ominous and and the dark skies and the rains and all that things with it. And I see Daniel seeing something like that as he's thinking about it and he's seeing that. And so we want to think about, well, what is this talking about? And as you read through and you think through what Daniel's saying and you read through these, these chapters, you begin to see that the, the sea here is, is all humanity of all time, right? The history laying out before him. That's the picture of what it is. And you've got the sea and it's begin to being stirred up. But I want you to notice what he says there in verse 2 about this. 
that here's all before him. And he sees this great vision and it says the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And so right at the beginning of his, of his vision, we see that it's God behind what's going on. None of this is happening outside of God's hand or how he's working. That it's the winds of heaven that are stirring up the sea, that are allowing this to happen. That God is sovereign over everything that Daniel's about to see. That the winds of heaven are the one that bring this. And so then from there we go and we start to look at what he says. Four great beasts came out of the sea different from one another. Right? So these four beasts start to come out of all of history that he's watching that's blowing crazily and out of control. And he's seeing these things. But remember, he's seeing that heaven's blowing it up and he's seeing this happen. And so before we read, we're going to go through four through eight here and see these beasts that come up. We're going to cheat, though. We're going to skip ahead to verse 15, 16 and 17 for just a second, because before we look at it, we're going to see what Daniel saw and what he's asking. And so as we're reading through it, I want us to see it with this in mind. So verse 15 says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the vision of my head alarmed me. And I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. And so he told me and made the interpretation known of these things. And so these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. And so as we look at the beasts. As we look at the four things coming up, I want you just to see what Daniel's told. The interpretation is the four beasts are four kings that are going to rise up out of the earth. There's the nations that are going to rise and fall. And so he's got that. We, we see that there towards the end. So go back then and look at verse four and see what it says. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And so the first beast that comes out of the sea is like a lion with eagle's wings. Now to us, we go, OK, it's a lion with eagle's wings. So what, you know, that's a picture of kind of a weird beast and doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But but to Daniel, having read and known the prophecies of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, who wrote right before him contemporaries, he would have known their prophecies. He would have known uh, their words. He would have read over those and have seen those. And both Daniel, I'm sorry, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel both talk about Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar as this. As this picture of the lion with the eagle's wings. And Daniel would have known that. And so it would have been very clear to Daniel. As, as nations are coming up and falling and coming. That the first nation that's coming up is Babylon. That that's what he's seeing laying out in front of him. Because that's a perfect... It's kind of like uh, if we saw uh, a vision of stars and stripes coming out. We would know that that represents America for us. The same thing for Daniel. He sees this picture and he knows what this is talking about and that it's talking about Babylon. And then as you work your way through verses five, <clears throat> five through eight, the second beast is, says is like a bear. And then after the bear comes a leopard and you start to see these things and we can trace through history and just even the context here and looking at this. And, and by the way, when we get into prophecy, we get into these detailed things and all this meaning. There's a lot of things in here that a lot of people would debate about for a long time and are still debating about. And so the way we're going to look at this room, we're doing overview. We're just looking at big picture. I'm going to leave a lot of these details here just because sake of time, but because of what we're doing and we're trying to catch the big picture and a lot of people debate over some of the symbolism. But what I'm telling you is pretty widely held that this is what we're talking about, that we're looking at nations rising and falling and so what we get is, is the bear seems to be the media Persia empire, the Medes and the Persians together, right? They, they rise up together and the bear comes up 
And then you have the leopard, right? The next one is a leopard that goes and conquers. And, and uh, you see after the leopard that it has four heads and all this picture. Well, the leopard represents Greece, right? The leopard that moves faster than any animal. The, the leopard, Alexander the Great, who conquers the world in less than 10 years. Less than 10 years, he conquers all of the world. And if you know history at all, I actually watched this this week. History Channel, the uh, biography of Alexander the Great. And I was what? And his four generals come up after him and they fight for power when he passes away. He dies at 32 years old and they come and they fight over who will be next. And so you have a leopard with four heads and, and it all points to Greece and, and how that was working out. And then you get to uh, the last one there. And it's, it's so terrifying and so great that he doesn't even really know what to say other than it has iron teeth. But that picture is of Rome. And so what you have is what Daniel's vision is seeing, what's going on here, is he seeing this whole brutal period of nations rising and falling and coming and going. And it's that span between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's seeing it laid out before him. Babylon to the Persians to the Greeks to the Romans. And here it is in 552 B.C. And laying out before him is this picture of what's to come and how the nations rise and how they fall. And if you know anything about history in those times and Alexander the Great and uh, the Babylonians and, and any of those, how harsh they were and how hard those times were and how crushing and brutal and all those things that you see there, but yet you see before, laid before Daniel, that God's in control of all this. The four winds of heaven are blowing up the sea for all this to take place and happen. And so I want you to think about the vision of what we're just seeing of snapshots of time. In my mind, it helps me. Maybe this doesn't help you at all, but the way I think of it oftentimes is I think of God being outside of time. He's not bound by time. And I like to think of it as, as strips of film hung. If you've ever seen that, you go in a dark room. I'm probably dating myself because a lot of people don't use film at all anymore. Maybe a better thing would be the pictures you have on your iPhone that you flip through when you look at the pictures you took, but you can flip through different things. Well, I, th I think of God being outside and being able to see all those laid out before him, all of time laid out, and he's outside. And so Dan with Daniel, he's just zooming in and hitting a few little spots, showing him things that are coming, just little uh, just glimpses of what's happening. But then we get to verse 9, and, and I think of being outside of that time, and outside of it is this throne that's over all of it, that sees it, that can see it all laid out. And so our shift turns to the throne, and it says, And I looked... And thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him, and thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And I looked, because the sound of great words that the horn was speaking, the horn being the last part of the last nation. And so what you have is the rulers of the earth talking big, telling what they're doing, proclaiming their works. And God, I saw the great words of the horn speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season. And so what you see is God sitting outside of all this allowing these things to come and go and to happen for a time, but that he's in control and he's over all of it. He sees all nations and he's over every single bit of it. And so when you get in verse 10, that they all stand before him and it's his court. 
that God's sitting over all of it, that he's standing over judgment over every single bit of it, that we can see that God sees all and that he knows all and he knows exactly what's happening, that God is all powerful and that he is over all things and he sees all of them. But notice in verse 12, as it says, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And so what you get is exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, where he says, No authority is given except that which comes from God. That all nations that rise and fall and all those that come, that God is sovereign over all of them. That he is sitting in judgment over every single bit of it. I love that when you look there in verse 9 and it says, The Ancient of Days took his seat. That God is seated on his throne. Right? Daniel's vision is not the ancient of days was pacing back and forth nervously as he looked on to what was going on in the earth. Though the ancient of days is seated on his throne and all is calm before him as he rules over all nations and all things at all time. And we see every bit of that, that God is on his throne. And so as we think about history, and if you go back and you read all the things that happened all the way throughout history, but especially this morning as we think about those 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that you could think of, of, of Babylon, and that's even going back into the Old Testament a little bit, but as they came and they drug the uh, Israelites out and they destroyed Jerusalem and all those things that would happen, that God was still seated on His throne over all that. And that He allowed that, even that to be used to spread synagogues throughout the world so that the, God's Word was starting to be put out there different places where people could come and learn about God or or you read through history and you see as Alexander rides into to Jerusalem and, and takes over the whole area and everybody's uh, bowing down to him and giving deference to Alexander the Great that God is still on his throne over all of that. Or when you read uh, just 160 years before Jesus would come, Antiochus Epiphanes would go into the uh, throne room into the actual temple and he would destroy things. He would offer uh, swine on the altar and set up altars to false gods and do all these horrible things. And yet God was still on his throne the whole time. And he even used that to, to bring up a rebellion which would then in turn lead to Rome taking over which would lead to his son being put to death by the Roman authorities as the New Testament opens with Rome. In control, And so when you see every single one of those, all of this story, all of history, all that Daniel's laying out for us, that God's showing Daniel 550 years before Jesus, God is on his throne. And he knows every bit of it. And the rise and the fall of nations, none of it happens without his knowing. And so the story of God, as we've been talking about his story and the story throughout history is simply, as we've been saying over and over, is that it's all about God and that he is in control and he does have a plan and he is over all this. And so as we get to our, our last question this morning of, of why this is good news, why this is encouraging for us, why this can be wonderful and a comfort, I want us just to think, hopefully, in, in a lot of ways, hopefully this is pretty obvious. The first reason is obvious in that that God is in control, that his plans are not being thwarted, that he's not taken aback or surprised about what's going on, but that he sees all of it before him. But I want us to see something even deeper that's here. 
It's even just uh, more wonderful, I think, when you really look at it. Look back again at verse 13 and 14, the end part of this vision, that there's the throne room and there's all the things and God's allowing these to happen for a time. But then you get to verses 13 and 14. And I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And when you read those verses and you think about as we move into the New Testament, when this shows up again, these very verses show up again in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, it's Jesus standing before the Pharisees in the middle of the night in the sham of a trial as they do it under the cover of darkness and they begin to question the creator of the universe. The one that holds everything together by the power of his word and they start to question him and attack him in which it comes to its culmination in the end of Matthew chapter 26 where they say, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And guess what Jesus' answer is? You have said it yourself, nevertheless, I will tell you. Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And so Jesus' answer is, he goes back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and he says, yes, I am the Son of Man, and I'm the one that's going to come, and I'm the one whose kingdom is going to go on forever, and I will always have dominion. And you know, with the, if you've read that in Matthew 26, they tear their clothes. What more evidence do we need? Blasphemy, and they scream, and they yell, and they hold judgment over the King of Kings. But what we see is, God's saying is Jesus brings us back to this, that even as Jesus is being mocked and beaten and spit on in a trial that was an absolute joke, as there was no evidence to convict him, Jesus takes them back to God is still on his throne. This is my plan. This is not being frustrated by anything that you see around you right now. Right? They think we're in control. We're putting him to death. He's the one... And we're going to do this. And Jesus says, no, I'm the son of man and my dominion will be eternal. And so he turns it on its head. And so you see this wonderful picture of Jesus taking us back to this passage and applying it to himself and telling us how nothing's out of control. That he's the one that's in. And this is all of history. And in the fullness of time, all of this was coming exactly how God planned for Christ to be put to death so he could purchase our salvation he could present us to God as the one, as it says, and he came with the cloud, uh, up here before and it talks about him being presented before the ancient of days. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. But that's not all that he says. That's not the only time Jesus takes us back to this. Because two chapters later in Matthew chapter 28 as we get to what we call the Great Commission. As Jesus starts the Great Commission, he says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And then he says, go make disciples and teach them all that I've done. But he begins with, all authority has been given to me in heaven 
and earth. And so one of the last things we see is Jesus is telling us here when this prophecy in Daniel was talking and pointing ahead to what Jesus was was going to do. It's talking about when he's going to ascend to the throne of heaven. Right. The immediate context of the Great Commission is when Jesus talks, he's about to ascend to heaven and he turns and he tells those there. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And so what we see, the picture that's here, is it's pointing to Jesus' ascension, not his second coming. Do you see what that means? He's saying, all authority is given to me in heaven on an earth right now. It hit the time of his ascension. And so what that means for us and the picture that is there is that Jesus is reigning on his throne right now. Right now, he's already on his throne and all dominion has been given to him. He's already completed the work of salvation. He's already come and he's died and he's risen again and he's paid the debt of sin. And those things are wiped away and he is ruling right now. And so when he tells us that and he points to that, no matter what is going on in your life right now or how many times you're frustrated or how many times we want to say, God, do you care? Or where are you? Or why don't you step in right now? The truth is that Jesus is already reigning and he's over all and he's not surprised by it. And so when we have those things come up in our life and we're frustrated and so many things are hard and maybe you're frustrated by the state of uh, our country or the politics of the world or what's going on. Maybe it's big things like that are weighing on you. Or maybe it's just simply your own health. Or the health of a loved one. Or your job situation. Or whatever it may be. There's, there's something more than what we see. Oftentimes we want to say, oh, it's getting out of control and I can't get it. But I want you to think about it. That I want you to be able to gaze beyond history and see that Christ is one. And that in the throne room of God, the Ancient of Days sits on his throne and all is calm. All is calm. And the Son of Man is standing at His right hand, interceding for you. And so no matter what is happening, no matter what we see or how we struggle, that we can see that Jesus is right there, that all of history, that all of these things have played out exactly as God would have them and exactly as His plan would go. And so when we think about in Paul when he says, at the fullness of time God sent forth His Son, this is all God's plan. He knew exactly He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew all those things. But I want to leave you with with one last thing before we end. Look at verse 18. Because Daniel comes and he asks, and tell me this interpretation. And he says, these four beasts and four kings shall arise out of the earth. But verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. And so when we talk about the fullness of time, Paul's talking about the fullness of time when Jesus enters into the story and he purchases our salvation and he does the work that only he can do on our behalf. But we also can talk about the fullness of time and that when the fullness of time has come, the son will return. And when he does, there's going to be a kingdom that we will possess with him forever and ever because of what he's done and what he's purchased for us. And so we have a hope of as we walk through things today and as we're frustrated and as hard things are coming, that Jesus is on his throne reigning even now. But we also have the eternal hope that he's going to return and fix it all. 
And that all the times that we go, well, how could this ever work out for good? They will work out for good. They will work out in ways beyond anything we can ever imagine. And so as we walk through our days today and we go through what we're going through, let us have an eye on the throne room of God and what is happening and the way He's reigning and the way He loves us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You. We thank You for this vision of Daniel some 2,500 years ago of of laying out how You are working and how You're seeing. And I I pray that we would fight to see You and, and who You are and the way You love us that so often we are caught right in the middle of our time and our circumstances and we're frustrated and we're beat down and we just pray that we would see today that You would give us eyes to see the scale at which You're moving and the way that You're working and the way that You love us and the way that You are bringing things to fruition. And I pray that we would see that clearly and that through that we would just love You and trust You and seek to worship You all the more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.